Sunday, March the 26th. Welcome to the Spurlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Linda, ever so much. Good morning, everybody. My name's Simon, if you don't know. It's one of my pleasures in life to lead the team here. Feels early, doesn't it? Do you know why it feels early? Because it is. Yeah, that's it. Because it is. We're, um, are those mine? Great. Tap. Um, we're bringing our four-week journey to a pause uh, today and after today, and then we'll hit Easter, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, over the next few weeks, and then we'll pick up this theme of walking with God, I think, after Easter. I've been loving the journey so far. That great invitation from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would basically go, do you know what? We've got this fab relationship. It's always existed. It's totally perfect. You can feel totally loved, valued, and accepted. And we're willing to let you lot come and join us. That's basically it. That's the invitation of heaven, that that which has been beautiful and perfect and unconditional and wonderful and deeply fulfilling, God says, do you know what? We're going to risk that being spoilt by letting you come and join That's the invitation. And Jesus prayed that all of us would respond to that invitation just before he went to the cross. He said, you know what? As the Father is in me and I am in you, I'm praying, Father, that they might be in us. Isn't that a marvelous thing? And then we saw the week after that, that the way we access that, the way that we learn to press in, to say yes to this invitation, is to call God Father. Is to call God Father. And that is a whole journey uh, for all of us in itself. And then last week, super helpfully, Claire helped us extrovert a lot and pause and be quiet quite a lot. Different ways of leaning in, of saying yes, literally saying, physically saying yes, by doing something different to this great invitation from heaven. So over these last three weeks, how many of you are actually doing something different because of these last three weeks? A few of you, great job. Great job. Because in the end, it's only as we do some stuff that it makes uh, a difference. Today I want to talk about why it's hard. If it's that wonderful in the way that I've just described, why do we find it hard to sustain a really life-giving, passionate relationship with God? We probably have some immediate answers to that. Do you know what? I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. If you lived in my house, you wouldn't have time either, etc., etc., etc. It's easy to find external realities why it's hard to maintain a deep, uh, integrated, intimate walk with God. Why it's hard each day to live out of the fullness of being in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I wonder whether those external realities, I'm too busy, I'm too distracted, I'm not this, I'm not that, I've got to deal with this, my mind's all over the place. Whatever those external things are, my thought this morning is whether those external things are driven by an internal reality that perhaps we're less 
less conscious of. So if last week was about looking without and externally processing quite a bit, today I'm going to ask you to look inside. And I wonder what's lurking within us that makes it difficult for us to perpetually and regularly and with a sense of sustainability say yes to this relationship that God invites us into. Why is it that we get this incredible invitation, come near to God, why do sometimes we find ourselves saying, actually, no thanks? Actually, I'd rather keep a little bit of distance, if you don't mind, between me and God. Why is it that deep within us, there is sometimes an unconscious response that says no? I'm not saying you're not a Christian, that you haven't said yes to Jesus, that you don't know him, that you're not walking with him. But why sometimes is there deep within us that response that, you know what, I'm not sure I want to get too close to God. David acknowledged that, didn't he, in the Old Testament. And he was a man after God's own heart. And he said, there are, there are things in my life that I'm not even sure I know that are there that create an offense, that create a distance between us. And he said, God, would you be kind enough? Would you be gracious enough to help me see the things that are in me that cause me to keep a distance, that cause a bit of an offense, that that, that create an affront between us? Would you be kind enough to show me what those things are and then lead me in the way out of them? That's what we're about this morning. Would God be kind enough to show us the things inside us that perhaps subconsciously, Cause us to keep a little bit of a distance between us and uh, God. There's that story, isn't there, in the Gospels. Uh, and it gets repeated in different ways. The story of the man that was uh, living and uh, uh, living among the tombs, Mark chapter 5. It's also in Matthew and Luke as well. Uh, where he, and he's living among the tombs and the, the tombs have an inner chamber where, where, where people are buried. And then the outer chamber where this guy was living. He was kind of hovering, if you like, between life, life and death. And Jesus comes to him. Jesus, the one that can heal him, that can save him, that can deliver him. Jesus, the one that can make all the difference in his life. And what's that man's response? Anybody? know? He's terrified at the thought of Jesus coming close. The very person he needs, he's fearful of. And it's a reminder that sometimes we can be like that man. That the very person we need to embrace more fully is the one that begins to generate fear in our hearts. What is that fear about and where does it come from? And he shouted at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of the most high, have you come to torture me? What is it in us that causes us to keep a distance? So, fair enough. It's not a bad question, is it? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask them, or perhaps more graciously, just answer that question before them. What are the things that cause us to resist drawing near to God? What are they? What might they be for you? Go. If you haven't got anyone around you, talk to the person in your head. There's plenty of them.
Okay, what are the things? Someone shout one out. Self-behavior, absolutely. We'll think about that, selfish behavior. Ah, we'll talk about that. He might not say something we want to hear. Yikes, there's a thought. Fear of what God may ask of you, yeah. Sure, so we have a kind of, we, we, we emphasize his kind of sovereignty and his kingship rather than his fatherhood, so there's a sense of appropriate distance because of that. Come on, dig deep people, one more. Fear of no response, shame. Now we'll talk about that. Mm. First one, perhaps that was the first one that we said is about things that we know are wrong within us. I keep my distance from God because I have unresolved sin in my life. Who has unresolved sin in their life? And the rest of you are lying. Simple as that. No shame here, is it? As I said in the membership course earlier on this morning, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you wouldn't let me lead here. And if I knew everything there was to know about you, I wouldn't let you join here. So we're all in it together. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah? But inside us... We know that there are things that are not quite right. And just like a naughty child hides away from his or her parent, it's easy for us to subconsciously keep a distance because we fear what it might be like to be exposed. Are you with me? No? I'm on my own then. It, you can crack on. You'd be much more interested than what I'm going on about. Let, let's get it. Let's get the mic. Let's do this properly. Come on. Here we go. You're going to do an altar call at the end because I'm ready to come forward. Go on. Let's go for it. A few weeks ago, um, I picked up an old Every Day with Jesus, and it was 2006. It was a blast from the past, isn't it? <laughs> and um, in it, it described um, seeing a boat in India, and this boat had loads of holes in its sail and so the wind that was behind it was going straight through and it was going slowly and suddenly I thought well yeah that's exactly what happens we don't ask for those holes in our lives to be repaired and so therefore the wind which is God's Holy Spirit you know, sort of passes us by. And I, it meant a real mm. lot to me. Beautiful, yeah. Real mm. sense. Sure, absolutely, yeah. So we need to get our sails repaired. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and allow God's Holy Spirit to send us powerfully on our way. Brilliant, thank you very much. Give Barbara a round of applause. And, and hold that thought about what we need to get repaired. I was a fan of the more popular version of Every Other Day with Jesus. Or Once in a While with Jesus. Sold like hotcakes. What was that thing, though, that Adam and Eve did? When they realized that something was wrong, what did they do? They hid. They didn't hide because they were doing something that was wrong. They hid because they felt the effects of something that they had already done wrong. Uh, 
oh, what's his name? John Eldridge, who writes uh, prolifically and has written a book called Resilience or Resilient or begins with R and has a couple of L's and a few E's in it. And he talks about really helpfully the unconverted places of our lives. And I thought, ouch, I know what he's talking about. There's all this that I give to God and all this space in my life I welcome him into. And then there's that. And I'm not sure I let him go there. Whatever that is. But that makes me nervous about getting close to God. Because God knows all about that. And maybe he's more aware of it than I am. So we have this choice, don't we? Either we allow that sin to keep dealing with us, or we allow Jesus to deal with the sin that is within us. And there's this beautiful verse that if we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful. He doesn't go, ah, I don't know, I'm not sure. Let me think about that. He's faithful and just and will forgive us. That's the first bit, to know that we're forgiven. But the next bit is equally important, to be cleansed from that which has stuck to us. To be cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful thing. And to be cleansed from all unrighteousness reminds me about that Old Testament picture. Because the, the, one of the biggest challenges about responding to an invitation, you've had an invitation to something exciting and you want to go, what's the biggest issue about going? Come on, ladies in particular. I hate to be gender stereotypical. What are you going to wear? Exactly. I know. That's the biggest problem of responding. What am I going to wear? And there's this beautiful picture in the Old Testament that talks about God giving us the robe of righteousness. He gives us the stuff to wear so that we can with boldness and confidence know that on the inside and on the outside I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed. I'll rejoice greatly in the Lord because I found something to wear. My soul will exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. A wonderful thing. Boldly I approach the throne, Hebrews would write. Why? Because, because I know, I know it's been dealt with. So the issue is not whether you've got things that have been wrong in your life, because you have. The issue is whether we're prepared to own them and allow Jesus to deal with them. And for as long as the stuff lurks, there will be this apprehension for us, because we hate being exposed. That make sense? So let's just stop sinning and deal with it. Yeah? Second reason I keep my distance from God is that I'm angry with him. You allowed to say that? Feel that for a moment. You might think that's probably not the right thing to say. Um, if you've done a lot of hard work, you might not be angry with God. But I bet your bottom dollar, most of us somewhere are angry with God about something. I'm not, you might say. Maybe anger is too strong, but you're disappointed with him or you're annoyed at him or you're whatever adjective you choose to use. Can you think of a prayer that God hasn't answered the way you wanted him to yet? How does that make you feel? Got you there, haven't I? Annoyed, frustrated, let down, disappointed, angry, 
fed up? Can I trust him? Is he really faithful? Am I the only one that has experienced all those emotions? No. No. And so can you understand why if that's lurking in our hearts, I don't particularly want to spend time with someone that I'm angry with or fed up with or I'm disappointed in. Make sense? So what do we do with that? If that's how we feel about God, I can understand that when we read this about this great invitation, that actually my heart, not my head, because my head knows the Christian thing to say, my heart response is, do you know what? I'm not sure, actually. Because I'm pretty ticked off with him right now. That's what my heart's saying. Pretty ticked off with him right now. And suddenly, if it's all right with you, God, I'll keep my distance. What do we do with that anger? What do we do with that disappointment? What do we do with that sense of failure? What do we do with all that stuff? Well, we know what God does. God acts like the perfect parent. When a child is really angry with you as a parent because you have put some boundary in or said no to something or made them do something, we all know what that is. And you've got, you know, little Johnny that's absolutely furious with you. You know, as the parent, that you're going to stick this thing out because it's good for him or for her. You know that as a parent, eventually it, the, the right thing is to hold on, not to give in. But you also know that you long more than anything for that child to be angry towards you rather than to run away from you with that anger. You with me? There's nothing worse than seeing your kids get angry and run away. Do we sometimes do that with God? When we're really mad with him, do we run away or do we run towards? Deep in what it means to be human, deep in what it means to be a parent, we can see that we long for our kids to run towards. That's a reflection of God. In our anger, he longs for us to run towards him. And you know what? He can cope with that. God is big enough to cope with everything that you're angry about. And that's what we love about Psalm 77, that was that uh, psalm that we looked at in the Daniel fast a, a year or so ago. That Asaph, he's furious, and he, God's making him angry because God's not doing what he wants him to do. And he brings his anger, his emotion, and all that he's feeling, and he cries out to God with it, and he shouts at God with it, and he groans at God with it. And so many psalms invite us to do that. That honesty is super helpful and super liberating and Christian culture has not taught us to do it. Well, or if at all. So instead of being honest about being angry, we pretend that we're not angry, but God knows that we're angry. So the only person who's being fooled is ourselves. So what does God prefer? For you to pretend that you're not angry when you are, or to be honest about how angry you are with him, which is going to destroy the relationship and which is going to build it. The very thing that we choose not to do, which is to put a lid on the way that we feel, is the very thing that separates us. It's like that that man again, uh, walking amongst the tombs, going, do you know what? I'm fine. I don't need you. I'm not angry. When actually, maybe, you are. And can you see that why honesty is so important? Because when we're, when we're dishonest with ourselves and therefore with God, we 
If you don't tell the truth, what do you do? And who's the father of that? So, so, so who are we aligning ourselves with? And what kind of strongholds are we creating in our lives? And then it's no wonder when God says, hey, do you want to come close? We go, actually, no thanks. Huh, that's the last thing I need. Because of all this stuff. When was the last time you got really angry with God? Just a thought. Third reason I keep my distance from God is because I'm hurting and in pain. This picks up a bit more of what Barbara was saying about the sales and, and stuff. Do you know, when you, when you hurt something, you kind of cover it up and protect it, don't you, instinctively. You know, sometimes people go, oh, I got a toothache, and they'll put their hand there as if that helps. You know what, that doesn't help, toothache. But it makes you feel you're protecting it in some way. You're just kind of covering it up. It's a very physiological, psychological thing, isn't it? My, my arm's hurting, so I'll, I'll hold it. I'll, I'll protect it. And when we're hurt internally, we do the same thing. I'm going to keep away. I'm going to protect it. I'm not going to let you close. Because it will hurt. Because anything rubbing up against that hurt activates it, hurts it. Just like a, a cut or whatever it might be. And so the idea of God coming close... Actually, I don't want to let anybody close because I'm in pain right now. It hurts. What, what do we do with that? I mean, that can be really destructive in our ordinary relationships, can't it, when we're hurting like that? And we keep our distance because it hurts. What about the way it impacts our relationship with God? There's this beautiful verse in the, in the Old Testament. I, in fact, I love the way some of the, so many of these verses and images are in the Old Testament where everybody thinks God's just angry and mad and lost the plot and he kind of recovers himself in the New Testament. It's such a, a misunderstanding of the Bible. But there we go. That's a sermon for another time. Lovely verse in the Old Testament. Here it is. A bruised reed. What will he do? He won't break it. Smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. God comes gently. God comes with healing. God comes with love and grace. Just like you would hope that when the medic says, I need to look at your arm, and you go, no one's, no one's getting anywhere near my arm. You will gently open it up because of a certain level of trust you have in the person that's inviting you to. What would it be like to hear God say today, I'm inviting you to open up that hurting place to me? Let me have a look. Let me touch it and see. And I love that sense, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Many of us are hurting because of things that have been wrong. And that sense of justice where we've been wronged is super important. God is super gentle where we've been hurt and wounded, but he is strong and powerful and just where we need him to stand up for us. Are you with me? Sometimes we need God to say, to hear God say, that was wrong and I will defend you. That was wrong and I will put that right. That was wrong and by the time all things are settled, there will be justice for what is wrong. Powerful. And gentle. Fourthly, I keep my distance from God because I feel shame. Because I feel shame. How does, how does shame operate? Shame is not I've done something wrong. Shame is I'm wrong. And the biggest problem about shame is exactly what uh, Angela said at the beginning. The biggest problem with shame is that God might not accept me like everybody else. And the biggest test as to whether you carry any shame is this. Do you ever feel that God will answer someone else's prayers before he answers your own? 
Do you ever feel that God likes someone else before he likes you? Probably covered most people in the room now, haven't we? That's shame right there. That's what it does. Makes me feel less than. Makes me feel that somehow everybody else is okay and right and skipping through the daisies. And I'm kind of stuck in some quagmire. And it's because of me. Not something wrong has happened to me. Or I've done something wrong. But I'm wrong. Shame is crippling. It's worth, if you want a a good sort of window on shame, that um, Brenny Brown's TED Talk on shame. Just Google TED Talk, Brenny Brown shame. And uh, was it one of the most popular TED Talks ever or something? I don't know. But uh, but, uh, one of the things that she says, having studied shame, and you can see it in the scriptures, so it was good of her to study it all, but it was there in the Bible first, but just confirms that the Bible is true, unsurprisingly. That shame, the antidote to shame, shame thrives with secrecy. Keep it secret, you will feel like that. Shame cannot cope with empathy and connection. Shame cannot cope with empathy and connection. So when I'm honest about how I feel, actually I feel less than. Actually, I feel worthless today. Actually, I feel that God likes everybody else in this room and not me. When I begin to be honest about my shame, someone else will go, do you know what? Me too. Someone else will look me in the eyes and go, do you know what? Me too. I'm okay. And that is the antidote. How much more so, how much more so when we look God in the face and we hear him say, you're okay. When we hear what he has to say. And that's why the Easter by a million miles is the biggest antidote to shame. Because at Easter we're invited to look into the face of Jesus. And where do we find him? We find him on a cross. But before we get to that, another Old Testament verse. Just to prove my point about the Old Testament. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be covered in That doesn't mean they never had shame. We've all got shame. That's what Genesis chapter 3 taught us. We all carry shame. But those who look to him will be radiant. And at Easter, above all else, we're invited to look at him on the cross, to come face to face with God in that moment, in that space. And that beautiful song, uh, Love Ran Red, that we sang earlier on, captures that so wonderfully. That as we look into the face of Jesus and allow him to look back to us, our shame is undone. It's no longer a secret. We no longer hide away. We allow him to look upon us, to look into who we are. Which is why Paul said, what you've got to do is remember that Easter is really personal. And maybe this is the posture I invite you to take these next few weeks adopting. It's not just that God came for the whole world. It's not just that he died for everyone. But what if he came for you? And what if his death was for you? Could it be that personal? That real? That's what busts the shame in our lives. That can be so crippling. Because actually, he loves me. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Actually, he died for for me. I can forget about you lot for a moment. That was for me. That was for me. He came for you, maybe, but more importantly, in this moment, he came for me. And lastly, I keep my distance from God. You'll be glad there's a lastly. Um, 
keep my distance from God for exactly what Helen said. I'm scared, and Alice said too, I'm scared of what, I'm scared of what Ma asked me to do. We've kind of lived with this awful notion, haven't we, that if we get too close to God, he'll send me to Africa as a missionary, he'll send me to wherever it might be, wherever, and put, and put for that wherever you don't want to go. He'll send me to Ipswich as a missionary. Don't get too close to God. He'll ask you to be a Baptist minister. There was no group of people sadder on earth, in my humble opinion, as a teenager than Baptist ministers. It was the last thing on I wanted to serve Jesus. I wanted to be in Christian ministry. But the last thing on earth I wanted to be was one of these. And we don't want to get close to God because we're scared of what he might ask us to do. Because we think in all these negative terms, he's going to ask me to go somewhere I don't want to go. He's going to ask me to give up something I like doing. He's asking me to start doing something I hate. And we've got this whole kind of concept in our minds that God gets his pleasure out of giving us things we don't want to do. How far away is that from the God of the Bible? You with me? What does it say? If we follow the good shepherd, what will follow me? Goodness and mercy or love and faithfulness, whatever translation you choose. But we don't believe that, do we? We're atheists when it comes to that verse or agnostics at best. I'm not sure. I'm scared to get close to God because what the heck will he ask me to do next? God's already got a list of things he knows you don't like. He's just waiting for the right opportunity to tell you to do it. You're laughing too much, people. You know it's, I'm getting somewhere close now, aren't I? But that, isn't that the posture we've had with God sometimes? How have we created this culture of thinking of God like that? Well, I've got some things to say about that, but that's another story. Let's not do that. But it, hey, goodness and mercy. Can I draw close to God knowing that every single thing he asks of me will in the end be for my flourishing and for my good. Because what he wants more than anything is for me and you and us to flourish and be fully alive. You with me? So whatever he asks me to do will help me step closer to being more fully alive than I am right now. And I might see it from my human perspective. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to whatever it is. But actually, he knows better than me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, it says in Jeremiah. Plans to give you what? A hope and a future. Now, who doesn't want a hope and a future? But this is where it's found. But we keep our distance. Because we're afraid. Which is why at the end of the Bible, when John writes, and he's kind of an old man by now, and he's getting quite wise, and he says, do you know what? In the end, I've discovered that the perfect love of God casts out what? I don't need to be afraid. I'm going to give up being afraid because his perfect love casts out fear. Let's be quiet for a few moments. There's a summary of these things on the screen. You probably got your own, to be honest. There's plenty of reasons why we keep away from God. But if his love and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, then the closer we get, the better and more alive we'll be. And you know what? The better and more alive you are, is good for all of us. Is good for all of us. Claire.
Let's uh, leave <clears throat> that screen on this uh, slide on the screen for a moment. And let's just pause. Maybe you want to close your eyes, get yourself comfortable. That was a lot. <laughs> but I suspect one of those felt more true, more real than the others. Let's just pause. Recognizing God is here. Recognizing that his spirit is moving amongst us. Lord, we open our ears and our lives to receive what you have for us in this moment. I'm going to give us a a few moments of silence. And why don't you... Ask God, which one is he wanting you to specifically push into right now? One of those five or maybe one of the other ones that you've talked about at the beginning. Lord, which one for me are you wanting to talk to me more about today? Just have a few moments of silence as we ask God that question. And why don't we take this moment to be honest with him? How do you feel when you think of that question? How do you feel when you think of your shame or that hurt? How do you feel when confronted with that unresolved sin? Why don't you whisper to God how you feel right now? I know that Father God has got something to whisper back to you. It's a word of hope, of encouragement, of love. He's got a truth for you to hear. And so let's open our ears to hear him. Lord, speak to us.
What have you got to say as we've laid ourselves before you, as we've begun to unpick some of our emotion, as we bravely come into your presence? What have you got to say for me to me today? Simon was speaking that verse in Isaiah 61 really struck true for me. It might just be for me, but I'm actually quite convinced that there's others in the room that need to hear it. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with a garment of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I am not afraid because I have a garment of salvation. I am forgiven because God has saved me. I can lay down my shame and my guilt at the foot of your cross and you restore me with a robe of righteousness. So as the band come, why don't you just keep listening to God? He has words of hope for you. As you bravely draw near to him, what is he saying about the emotion, the questions you're asking him? And the band are going to lead us in a song. You might want to stand and enter into worship in song. You may want to stay seated and just keep listening to what God has got to say. You may want to kneel. You may want to lie, just saying, God, I'm here. I'm here. Help me to lay down my guilt and shame. Help me to confess my unresolved sin. Help me, Father God, to listen eagerly rather than in fear. Help me to trust that what you have for me is a road of goodness and a hope for the future.